Kira, good morning. Well, we're going to go back to 587 BC this morning, uh, which is quite a way back. I doubt whether any of you here can remember it. But uh, we're going to be starting a series on looking at various biblical characters and how they really lived a life of purpose. And so I get the pleasure of um, speaking to you this morning about one of my great heroes in Scripture, which who is Daniel. Uh, I love the story of Daniel. I have studied it for years and years, but every time I read it, it's just like reading something new. It, it absolutely intrigues me. So before I do start, uh, Melanie's going to be running along with my uh, teaching, preaching with some PowerPoints. So I have to say I stole them. I stole them off a dear friend that we work with a lot in the States. He's a, a Christian, he's, he's a history and worldview teacher in a Christian university. And he does great PowerPoints on everything. And I discovered a long time ago that he had some on Daniel. Um, I have greatly modified them. He doesn't know I'm using them, by the way, but he's a very forgiving character. I've modified them quite a lot. So next time I see him, I'm going to offer them back for a price and say, look, I greatly improved them and edited them. And they're a lot better than anything you ever did. Actually, Kumadini uh, did most of the editing. So I need to be careful. So I just I just wanted to give Paul credit for, for some of that, especially the opening picture, which uh, will come up soon, which maybe he may have stolen it off someone else. I don't know. But anyway, it's fantastic. Um, one thing in going through this this morning, I'm sorry, I'm trying to do what would take many, many sessions in one session. So I don't have time to substantiate everything. I'm not going through all the scriptures. You can read it yourself. I'm working out of Daniel chapter 1 to chapter 6, which is primarily in that book of his life. Uh, So you can go home and read it. I would encourage you to do that. I don't have the time to reference everything historically. But if you want all that stuff, I have it. Uh, I've had it for years. I just love it. So you can come and see me. But the story of Daniel's incredible journey, uh, which is mostly in chapters 1 to 6, is made so amazing by the fact that Daniel was taken into captivity into Babylon at the age of 13 years. Now, probably all his family were killed, were put to death, And so him and many of his friends, many of the youth were were taken into uh, Babylon. And Daniel remained there until he died. He died at 84 years of age. And so he remained in captivity for 71 years of his life. All of his history, all of his family, everything was eradicated. He never, ever got out of Babylon again. uh, So he was in that city. And Babylon was quite an incredible place. Uh, The scriptures speak of it very, very negatively for a whole lot of reasons that I can't take you through. But um, Melanie, I'll have some slides, three slides up there, which will just give you a picture of it. But Babylon today is in Iraq. And it's the ancient city of uh, Mesopotamia. And it was a huge walled city. It's claimed that uh, the walls were 150 kilometers in length, 110 meters high. Now, that is really, really high. And 25 meters thick. Some historical readings claim they had chariot races around the walls. Now, whether that's true or a stretch of the imagination, I don't know. But it it just gives you an, an idea of what it was like. And within the walls of the city, 
all of the houses, which were two or three stories high, which was incredibly unusual back then, were laid out in beautiful square rows, like we would often see a subdivision today that's all been prettied up and laid out mathematically and everything. And that's what a Babylon looked like. But the city was also a very powerful fortress. So it was absolutely impenetrable and you couldn't get in it and you couldn't get out it without a permission. Uh, it, it had, I think, about 150 gates all made of solid brass and uh, they were all heavily guarded and it actually ruled for 88 years. It was set up by Nebuchadnezzar primarily, and actually ruled the, the world of, uh, that was known at that time for, a, for a, a, a 88 years. And so the story of Daniel takes place during this time. Now, I have a question for you, and I'm really sorry I forgot to bring prizes. I was going to get a whole lot of cun- um, crunchy bars. I don't like them. That's why it's easy to give them away. But I was going to get a whole lot of them and give you a prize. So I call out to me, who knows, and you're allowed to have a guess, Who knows how old Daniel was when he went into the lion's den? Put up your hand if you think you know. No, Linda, no. I'm sorry. And none of the staff at the office are allowed to answer because we talked about it last week. Does anybody know? 40 there. Aaron's had a guess of 40. (coughs) Any takers or leavers or whatever? Well, you're getting closer, Jen. It wasn't bad. He was actually 82 years old. So Daniel, the great story, I mean, we do it at Children's Church and everywhere else. Daniel was 82 years old when he was put into the lion's den. And that is uh, really significant for some of the things that we're going to be talking about. So we're going to start up with Daniel's, we're going to have a look with Daniel's period of time from 13 to 16 years old. So that's where we're beginning from. And as we've said, he's been taken into Babylon and we could say, wow, what a wonderful place of captivity. It was flowing with milk and honey to use the great biblical term. And it had absolutely everything. But this was not a place of joy for Daniel and his friends. You imagine if all your family's been wiped out, your, your whole heritage, everything you know about life's all been taken away. And so also these young men under the king's command, Nebuchadnezzar was the king at the time, had to be vigorously trained under his worldview. So what he wanted them to know and to think, you can call it indoctrination if you like, but he was fierce that they're completely separated from the past and are vigorously trained into his worldview. Yet here's the amazing thing, and we've sung sung about this in our worship this morning. Right from the start, this is 13 years of age, that's the time of the Jewish bar mitzvah for those of you who know the significance of that. Uh, right at that time, Daniel and particularly his four friends sat down and said, why has the sovereign, almighty, powerful God allowed this to happen to us? There must be a reason. That is amazing. Instead of grumbling about their captivity. Now, they weren't mistreated initially. We know some of the stories later, which we'll look at. But they weren't mistreated. But here they were in this place and they had one question. What is God's purpose? God must have a purpose for bringing us here. What is God's purpose and what do we need to do to fulfill it? 
And Daniel was still asking that question, 82 years old in the lion's den, 84 years old when he finally um, died and went to be with the Lord. So here is the point that we have to understand. Captivity of whatever form it comes in is the judgment of God for our good. It may not be for a lot of other good and other situations, but for us as Christians, captivity is a judgment of God for our good. And it's not until we become captive to God, whatever that may look like, where he can get us into training and begin to prepare what he has for us. Now, I don't know what characters we'll get across in the, in the weeks to come, but the great stories of Noah, of Abraham, of Jacob, of Joseph, all of those stories have a degree of captivity in them. And I want you to ask yourselves a question this morning. Has God been completely able to take you captive yet? Has he really got you? Has he got you away from the things of the world, away from even the good things, the pleasures, the great things of life, which we'll look at? Has God, or even in the midst of those things, does God have you captive? Are you captivated by him? Is the whole focus of your life asking the question, Jesus, what would you have me do right now in this situation? I may not like it, I may not understand it, but what would you have me do? If you're the sovereign almighty God, you must have a purpose for me being right here, right now. What is it? And we should ask ourselves that question every day. So we're going to move on. So we're into chapter 1, verses 8 to 17. Uh, On the command of the king, Nebuchadnezzar says, Now these young men, I want these young men to be in top shape so they get the best food, they get the best wine, they get the best of everything, and it all comes from the king's table. So you would think, wow, you know, what a feast. This has to be good, right? Actually, there's a problem. And here's the problem. All this wonderful food and wine was first offered to idols. It was offered to false gods. And under the Jewish law, which is God's law, he says you cannot eat food that is sacrificed to idols. So Daniel and his friends and the people overseeing Daniel who, who weren't unkind to them, they call them guards if you like, they were free to walk and come and go in within the city's wall. But the people overseeing them had a problem because if Daniel and his friends suddenly looked a little thin and bedraggled and not healthy, they're all going to be put to death. Daniel, his friends, and the rulers and overseers, the guards who were guarding them, were all going to be put to death. And they had to parade in front of the king, and he was going to assess them. And he was going to pick the cream of the youth, and any of those that didn't look good, they were going to be, I'm sorry to use the word, they were going to be culled from service. Pretty tough. Pretty tough. And here is Daniel and his friends saying, we're not going to eat this food because it's been offered to idols. We're forbidden by our God to eat it, so we're not going to. So they go to their rulers and they say, okay, we understand the dilemma of this situation, but we really trust God here. 
So give us 10 days. And in the 10 days, we're not going to eat any of this food that comes from the king's table. We're not going to eat anything that has been sacrificed to idols. So they just got basic vegetables and water. Give us 10 days. And they say, we're going to trust God that whatever purpose God has brought us here for, by obeying him, we'll be adequately prepared to stand before the king and give a testimony of life. Amazing. Because the food itself can't do this. There's nothing wrong with just eating vegetables, but the scriptures even say that those who don't eat meat, we should tolerate them because they're of lesser faith. I didn't say it, the scriptures did. So So what happens? They get taken before the king and the king says, wow, The outstanding guys here are Daniel and his four friends. They are incredible. So here is my point. Don't allow yourself to be defiled. Now, we're not into food laws anymore, and I'm not about to start preaching on that. But listen to me. Idolatry, sexual immorality, drugs, drunkenness, pornography, Abusive speech, violence, all of those things are examples of things that today defile us. And God's not an angry God in the sky with a big stick or whip waiting to whack us every time we do those things. And if we have, we can go back to him in repentance. God is saying, listen to me. If you get involved in any of these things, They defile you. They will take you out of relationship with me and they'll take you out of the calling I have for your life and whatever you get out of them, that's too big a price to pay. See, it may be easy to be attracted to some of the instant pleasures or gratifications these things bring, but God's saying it's going to cost you something so dear, don't go there. It's not worth the sacrifice. So we are called to walk in a way that we don't allow ourselves to be defiled by these things so we can stay in harmony with the calling of God and the purpose of God that he has for our life because that's where our greatest source of pleasure and blessing ultimately lie. And it's so important that we do that. But there's more to this in Daniel's story by bringing themselves before God and by remaining undefiled. It says this, and this is in verse 17. God also gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. See, remaining undefiled isn't just good for us physically, emotionally, mentally. It builds us spiritually. It allows our spiritual being, being undefiled, to be uh, matured and skilled and gifted in the ways that God intends for us. So here are these youths. They don't only look remarkable. They don't only present themselves in an eloquent way, but they are full of the Spirit of God. And Nebuchadnezzar sees this because these were all spiritual people back in those days. And he is impressed. He's really impressed. So here's the result of it. <clears throat> he, um, 
he realizes that he has got something really special. So we move into the second stage of Daniel's life. And we'll have a slide up for that. So at the age 17, Daniel's called to the king, called by the king to interpret a dream. But you see, the king's got pretty fed up with all his spiritual advisors and his magicians and all of those people. So it's a common practice. They call them in and say, I've had this dream and you guys tell me what it means. And they sit there and if they can't think of anything, obviously they make it up and they put on their best spiritual face and make believe and away they go. So Nebuchadnezzar's no fool. He's a very clever man. So he's sick of this. So he puts the proposition forward which no human being can ever do. He says, right, I've had this dream and I want you guys to interpret the dream. They're just saying, oh yeah, well this is what we do. We're clever, no problem. But he said, before you do, you've got to tell me what the dream is. And they go, whoa, hang on a minute. Nobody can do that. They say there is nobody alive on this earth that can do that. That would be a fair statement. It would be true. So he says, okay, well, here's the deal, guys. If you can't, he gives them a period of time. If you can't, you're all dead. See, Nebuchadnezzar, my father used to keep chooks, loved loved chooks. And he had a rule in his home, and, and he was wonderful with his chooks. He called it the Hilton Hotel for them. But he had a rule in his home and it was no lay, no stay. So when the chooks went off lay, they were cold. Now, it's one thing to do it with chooks. I don't particularly like chooks. I like eating them, but I don't particularly like chooks. So it's one thing to do it with chooks. Nebuchadnezzar had that rule for everybody in his kingdom. No lay, no stay. You guys don't come, can't come up with this dream. You're out. And now it doesn't mean you're retired or sent away. You're put to death. You're executed. So the stakes were pretty high, and it's impossible. Nobody can possibly do it. So what is the first thing Daniel does? And here is a great rule. The first thing Daniel does, he calls a prayer meeting. He says, guys, nobody can do this but we're in touch with somebody who knows all. We're in touch with somebody who knows our thoughts before we think them. We're in touch with somebody who's got all the past, all the present, and all the future mapped out to the nth degree. We as human beings had an amazing breakthrough an incredible miracle when we mapped out the DNA. God didn't only map it out, he designed it. He made it all work before anybody even knew there was any such thing. So Daniel says, you guys, we better get a prayer meeting going and we better get back to God and get in touch with him. Now, when you have this sort of threat over you, your prayer meetings are full of passion and they're full of purpose. Okay, they're not, ah, oh, well, Father, yeah, we better pray. Oh, yeah, well, Lord, um, do you think you can find it to tell us about Ned's dream? You know, it's, my gosh, we better get before God. See, our prayer needs to be full of passion and purpose because that's what moves God. That's what gets God's attention. 
So they, they call this prayer meeting. But here's a very interesting thing. You'll find it in verse 16. God doesn't say, okay, guys, I see your dilemma. So here is the answer. God doesn't reply, but he gives them the assurance that he will. So Daniel's got to go to Nebuchadnezzar and ask for more time. Imagine that. Why didn't God just front up and give them the dream? Well, I can't answer that question. But Daniel's got to go and say, hey, Neb, I don't think he really called him that, but that'll do for this morning. He's got to say, hey, hey, Neb, you know, this is a big thing that you're asking, but I believe that we can come up with this. Just give us a bit of time. So, so Nebuchadnezzar says, okay. So away they go. Now, they've got to get the answer for God or they're all going to be cold. And they come back and they interpret the dream. Now, I can't go there with the dream and the statue and all of that, but I just want to say this, brothers and sisters, we have been absolutely robbed by the horrible end-time message on what has been done to that dream. That dream stands as an image of who God is, how God works, where he was working at the time and where he is working today and where he's going to be working in the future. All of that is in that dream. We need to recover it. I hope to do some sessions on it at a later date. We need to recover the dream. It's an incredible insight to, the, to God and his kingdom. Incredible insight. Anyway, we must leave that, I'm sorry. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed that he makes Daniel prime minister. And Daniel's um, three companions all become his administrators as prime minister of the nation. So Daniel gets promoted. Now, here's the point. If you've got ambitions in the kingdom of God, and I hope you do, if you've got passion and dreams and things you want to achieve, and I hope you do, what we need is wisdom and discernment out of our relationship with God, not power. Every time we read about a lust or desire for power in Scripture, God speaks about it very negatively. The story of Samson shows the problems and all of that, and we could go through a lot of other areas. See, the lust for power, the desire for power, is not what gets us promoted in the kingdom of God. It is wisdom, discernment, maturity, understanding, knowing God, knowing God's calling on our life. And so Daniel, by interpreting the dream, gets put in a place of power over the whole of Babylon at that time, which was the most powerful city and force on the earth at that time. And Daniel's put there to rule it. See, some of the greatest leaders in Christian history never wanted to be leaders at all. They just found themselves placed in a position by God and out of their faithfulness and obedience to him, they responded to the call and God was able to do through them what they wanted. I want to make this other point. I'm going to move on pretty quick, but I want to make this other point. Daniel and his friends insulated themselves from the ways of Babylon They didn't separate themselves from it. We are not called to separate ourselves from the world or the ways of the world. 
God wants us out there. But when we go out there, God wants us to be insulated from the sin and from all the things that are ungodly, that are happening from the attitudes, from the motives, from all of those things. We've got, we are called, Jesus in John 17 said, Father, don't take them out of the world. I want them out there in it. So Daniel and his friends were not separated from Babylon. They were insulated from it. That is a huge difference. Huge difference. We need to be insulated from the ways of the world so we can go out there, remain undefiled, and express the purposes of God through our lives into those communities. And that's God's calling on everybody's life or most people's lives here. So we need to move on. So now we're going to jump, and I know I've done big leaps and bounds. We're going to jump into slide three, Mel, is up there, into the stage of life of Daniel's life from 59 years to 84 years of age. So here we go for a brief reference. Chapters two to four, Daniel goes from 17 years old to 50 years old. So chapters two to four cover uh, 33 years of Daniel's life. Chapters 5 to 6, Daniel serves four different kings. Nebuchadnezzar goes, his son takes over. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of other things take place which I won't go into. And so finally he serves four different kings. But the scriptures for 25 years give us nothing about Daniel's life. They say nothing. So here's the point. It seems... And it's likely that nothing worthy of writing about took place in Daniel's life for 25 years. Now, I have a question for you, because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can we in our lives handle that degree of quiet? Can we maintain our disciplines and stay the course without feeling rejected, cast aside, and disillusioned. So I want to give you a testimony. I don't often give testimonies of my life. But in 1980, a dear friend of many of us, a wonderful man of God, who many of you will know by the name of Tom Marshall, he's gone to be with the Lord now, called me out of a meeting in this congregation, prophesied and said, young man, I was a young man then. I know that will surprise some of you now, but I was a young man then. He said, young man, you're going to take the message of the kingdom of God out into the world, out to the nations of the world. I didn't, I'd been a Christian one year. I didn't know what the message of the kingdom of God was. I had no idea. So I thought, well, this is a pretty exciting word. And uh, by the way, I signed, up for, I signed up for it. I thought, hey, I'll do that. And 12 years later... It was 1992 before I first left this country. I'd only been out of the country twice before to do what that calling was. So in those 12 years, there was silence in that regard. I found plenty of other things to do, and I was involved in many other things here and and around the valley. But there was no reference to it, no mention of it. Nothing. One of the things he added to the word is you need to go and prepare yourself for this calling. Well, I thought that'll take six months. So 12 years later, I started. And you know, since then, 25, 26, whatever it is from 1992, I have done nearly 2 million air miles. 
I cringe and groan every time I have to get on a plane again, which I'm doing on Tuesday. I've done nearly two million air miles and I've preached in many, many countries of the world. But it was in God's time, not mine. And there was a long, long period of wait. Did I do it all in victory? Did I? Absolutely not. At times I would say to God, well, I don't know why you got that man. And I really loved Tom. He was a wonderful man to say that stupid word because there's no evidence of it in my life. Yet when I started the travel, I realized because I had prepared diligently for that 12 years, I needed every day of that preparation to back me up in what God had called me to do. And I was going to place to place. I would be tired. I'd be worn out. There was meetings after meetings. I would have messages to do, sometimes over 100 messages a year. And I was pulling back on that 12 years of preparation. So I am now grateful for it. See, here's our challenge. Our challenge is to embrace God's timing and keep us useful in the in-between, keep ourselves useful in the in-between times because without these times we cannot perform what God requires of us when he calls us back onto the playing field. Now, if some of you who are a little bit older in years are sitting there and saying, well, yes, that's fine for young people, but I can't wait that long, my life's ticking away, I have a word for you, so sit tight. So here's here's where we go. So ultimately, the kingdom of God goes to Nebuchadnezzar's son. Now, some people say it was his grandson. So you can argue about that. I don't really care. But we have the the situation of uh, the handwriting on the wall. Amazing message in itself. And do you know that non-Christians everywhere say, oh, well, the writing's on the wall. They're quoting from the book of Daniel. The writing's on the wall in this language that, again, nobody understood. And so Daniel got called in. And he had to give a terrible word to the king. Because the word said this, You have been tried and you have been found wanting. Imagine having to tell the king, you read it, God gives you revelation, the king's got all the power of life, remember they're into culling, they're into culling, very, very good, and you read it and you go, oh, come on, God, don't make me say that. <laughs> You've got to be joking. And this, this king was into all sorts of bad stuff and everything. And so the king says, well, come on, Daniel, what it is. Well, uh, 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 it says, you probably need to improve your game a little bit. He says, you have been tried. Tried by whom? You have been tried by God and you have been found wanting. You're in a lot of trouble, boy. And next thing, he's out of the game. He's gone. His life's gone and he's out of the game. So Daniel was brought back by King Darius, who's the final king that Daniel served under. Daniel's brought back by King Darius. Now, Daniel, and I want you to listen to this. Daniel is well into his 70s now. Retirement age, put your feet up, have fun. I've done all this prophecy stuff. I've been prime minister. I've been out in the wilderness somewhere for 25 years, feeling, you know, well, my life and calling and all that exciting things must be over. And the years are just ticking away. And suddenly God says, Daniel... Front up, I need you. Well, I'm 77 years old and it's about, Daniel, get out here, I need you. There's some writing on the wall that you're going to interpret. 
And rather than being put to death, Daniel is again promoted. And, and I'm sorry to jump over this so quick, Daniel's most productive years began in his late 70s. Daniel's greatest achievements took place in his late 70s. He finally got into his stride. He finally became really useful for God. Now, a lot of other things happened. The, the, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been put through the fiery furnace and everything. And let me make a point about that. If you guys think that you're in some degree of fiery furnace today and we all go through them, they might not be literal like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's what the fiery furnace does. What did it do for them? It burnt off them the things that were binding them. It burnt off them the things that were binding them. Their hands were literally bound with rope. The furnace was so hot that those who got close to it died. They basically melted. And these three guys are in there, but when the king looks in, he says, hang on a minute, there's four guys in there. Who's the other one? The other one is Jesus. When we're in the fiery furnace with Jesus, The things that are binding us are burnt off and we come to a greater place of freedom. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? I've been in the fiery furnace, not like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but I've been there. Most of you who I know have all been there. I hate it. But God's burning off us the things that are binding us so we can have a greater degree of freedom and we can become more useful to him. And even when we get to the age of 77 or beyond, God says, hey, front up. Stay in training. Stay in harmony with me. Keep walking with me. I don't care that physically you can't run 100 yards in 10 seconds anymore, but front up, you can stay in my word, my ways, my relationship with you because I know where you live and I may well be coming knocking on your door. Are you ready? I don't care if you're 10 or 100. Ephesians 2.10 says God called us to a whole of life, not just part of it. So Daniel as an old man gets a fresh calling and a fresh infusion of God's power. He goes into the lion's den. This has a huge effect on the nation and on everybody around him. And it creates another huge impact. So Daniel, until he goes to be with the Lord at the age 84, is still in the highest place of influence. And Daniel in his life has influenced the whole known world at that time. Yet never once was he king. Never once was he the top dog. He was always in captivity. He was always in a foreign land, stolen and robbed from his own home. But his whole focus was on why has God put me here? What does he want me to achieve? So I'm going to wrap up by saying this. There's much more we could say. Do you know why God has put you here, where you are right now in life, for such a time as this? Do you know? It can change. It might stay the same. Do you know why God has you where he has you for such a time as this? That knowledge and that information is available. You get it out of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Second point, 
Are you determined to achieve it? Despite the changes, the training, the challenges and the self-denial it requires. One of the things for many of us as we get a little bit older in life, we have a bit more finance. We have less pressures. We've raised our kids. I had a wonderful day yesterday. I had four grandchildren and family up in my home. I don't have to discipline any of them. In fact, I encourage them to run riot. And if they're really playing up, I just look at their parents and think, well, what are you going to do about that, you know? I heard one of them, I won't get into details, getting taken into time out yesterday. I didn't have to do it, but I didn't get the opportunity. But normally when they're in time out, I, I sneak up and say, has daddy put you into time out? Ah, oh, really? You come and give me a hug, you know? And they think, oh, wow, granddad, now he is something else. Sorry, uh, Jesse, not that it was you. So anyway, I didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't get the chance. But you see, we can start taking our leisure and we can start letting some of our disciplines go and we can start saying, well, I've done all of that stuff. But God's saying, I haven't finished with you yet. Are you ready when I come knocking on your door? And it may be today, it may be in 10 years, it may be when you're 93. What is that to me? And when he does that, he infuses us with his power so whatever it is he wants us to achieve, we can achieve it in his name. Isn't that wonderful? There's no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of life. There's changes of life and differences in life and God's fine with all that, but there ain't no retirement, guys. And we think, well, when we get off this planet, we'll finally retire. No, 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 no. In the life to come, there's no retirement either. Final point, will you continue to put your hand up for an active role in God's kingdom despite your age? Whether you consider yourself too young, too old or whatever. Because if you tick all these boxes, you are unique. See, God's no respecter of men. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were just ordinary guys who got hauled out of their family and put into captivity. What makes us unique before God is allowing him to take us captive and making our life a life of service and preparation for the glory of God. And because so few people sign up for that, and I'm talking about Christians, that makes us unique. And if that's you, there will be great exploits done through your life until it finally ends when you go to be with Jesus. Amen? That's what we need to sign up for. Father, we just thank you for Daniel. We thank you for the story you've given us. But it's not just about him. It's a picture of what God you can do with any man or woman who gives their life to a life of captivity in Christ and to a life of wanting to bring glory to your wonderful name. Lord, call on our hearts and enable us, empower us to sign up for that, Lord, because that's what the true essence of life is all about. And we thank you for calling us to it in Jesus' name. Amen.